Welcome to Clover Club, everybody. This is our first episode without Kelly. So we're going to have a little briefer of an intro because Kelly's not here to ask me how my week is. So my guest today, I am so excited to have. When I decided to start this podcast, he was on my short list of people that I just knew I had to get up here and get a microphone in front of his face. If you live in Atlanta, you've probably heard of this person. I feel like he's the Kevin Bacon of Atlanta, where everybody either knows him or knows somebody who knows him. And so today, I'm excited to introduce Keith Pepper. Hi, Keith. Hi, Erica. How was your week? (laughs) Thank you so much for asking. My week was actually wonderful because, as you know, it's starting to get gorgeous in Atlanta. I think it was 60 degrees last night. It is so nice out this week. It's so nice. It's the perfect week. Yeah. I described last night the weather as it actually kind of feels like the absence of weather right now. So you you don't notice it. It's like, I'm not too hot. I'm not too cold. There's nothing for me to bitch about in this very exclusive temperature zone. And I'm loving it. How many hours a day does that add to your day when there's nothing to complain about? But I was the interviewer here. That's <laughs> If I didn't have anything to complain about, I would move my mouth so much less. It's crazy to think about actually. They'd probably be very efficient. I should go to one of those like silent meditation retreats. <laughs> As I sit here and nod on the podcast, it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't see Keith, but he's sitting here cross-legged with his little Clark's booties and half of a headphone on and he's just ready to be a man behind the scenes. <laughs> just wondering how long you would last in a silent retreat. <laughs> Well, I did go on an ayahuasca retreat, and there was a lot of introspection there, and I lasted. I, mm. I completed it. Do you know how you know if someone's done ayahuasca? <laughs> the same way they know if you've run the New York Marathon. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so I was texting with Keith, and he's like, what do you want to talk about? And so I sent him this like very thoughtful list of like lots of different topics of things that I wanted to discuss with them, one of which was that Keith has run the New York Marathon. And all he wrote back was, New York Marathon, LOL. (laughs) So, Keith, how many times have you run the New York Marathon? (laughs) I've run it three times, but a lot of people have run the New York Marathon. Well, I don't know a lot of people who go out of their way to tell me about it every other week. When did I tell you about (laughs) it? Ever. Well, how would I know if you didn't tell me about it? I wouldn't. I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) A wine-filled neighborly evening. (laughs) We had a lot of time together during COVID. Yeah. So, okay. So Keith and I are neighbors. That is how we got to know each other. This is when I feel like we became friends, Keith. I had my first COVID scare. I I got the the memo that I had been exposed to COVID. And so I quarantined. And it was very early in COVID where everybody thought, like, am I going to die? And Keith texted me. And he was like, do you want anything from Ticonderoga Club? And I was like... Oh my God, yes. Because I'd been trapped in my house for like 72 hours at that point, losing my mind. And uh, you brought me a Cobb salad from Ticonderoga Club. And I swear to God, it turns out I didn't have COVID. But if I had, I think that would have cured me. There are easier ways to get a Cobb salad. <laughs> but it worked. But it worked. It's just the best salad. There's a lot of great salads in Atlanta. But I think one of the best salads is, and I don't even know if it's underrated, is the Fellini salad. Oh my God. God, that is the best salad in the country. It is perfect. The mozzarella is like fettuccine. It's so good. Even the dressing, like Cisco brand, creamy Italian dressing. Yes, it's literally. Which I would never eat in any other setting. I totally agree. But you put it in a little clear container with no labeling and you're just like, mmm, a delicacy. I completely agree with you. I almost had that last night, actually. I ended up not going. If you'd have called me, I would have brought you one. Next time, my salad delivery man. So Keith, okay, will you give us kind of a little brief elevator pitch of who you are? Sure. So I grew. <laughs> I'm a, a. Tell us everything about you. I am an Atlanta native, which Same. is somewhat rare. Yes. Um, although not in this room. Yeah. So was born here. My mom's side of the family is from New York. They moved down. Um, in the late 50s, um, when she was in high school. My dad grew up here, he was born somewhere else, but moved here when he was very young and grew up in Druid Hills. Okay. So in like the Driving Miss Daisy era of Atlanta. So I love my that. grandmother on my dad's side was uh, friendly with like that crew. So that's so cool. So have, uh, grew up here and then did my parents in the 70s move to the suburbs. So we were raised in Dunwoody and then Sandy Springs, and then I went to the University of Georgia, 
And after school, I traveled. I'd never been outside the country. Maybe I'd been to Cancun like, during. <laughs> I feel like that counts. E- either but it like count. freshman year of college or something, mm-hmm. and had never been outside the country, but had a, a you know keen interest in international stuff. My yeah. grandmother was a big traveler. And I always wanted to travel, you know, outside um, the U.S. So I went to Europe on a Eurorail pass. This is pre-email, pre-cell phones. This is like the early 90s. This is 1993. Okay. So I think I was the last class from the University of Georgia to graduate without email. Wow. Um, so God, that's just so crazy to think about. Um, it is. So <laughs> went to Europe and then ended up living in Israel for most of the year. So I was basically gone for about a year and okay. had more of an education in that year than I had ever of doing anything else before. Mm-hmm. So... That really awakened me to things outside of Atlanta. Came back, spent some time here, ended up moving to D.C. and then to New York. And got to New York in 1999, oh. right before Y2K. Yeah. So <laughs> it was uh, a wild time. It was the first dot-com bubble, so it was when the Internet was really starting to, to take off. Yeah. Got a job, walked in off the street and got a job at an Internet startup. And my first job, so this was in 2000, my first job was, it was all international because I told them that I was interested in international affairs. And so I got a job doing sales in emerging markets. So Mm -hmm. my first trip I ever took was to India. Oh, cool. And then Singapore and Australia and went all over South America, Mexico. So for the first two years of my career, I never took one domestic trip. That's awesome. Um, which was pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, a great experience. I was in New York for 20 years. I tried to come back to Atlanta once in 2012. And <laughs> I was, uh, at the time, just wasn't quite ready. I, I think I needed to move to Brooklyn, which I did okay. next. So I lasted about 15 months here in Atlanta. Okay. Um, you boomeranged. I, think, I mean, I think knowing you and... Uh, maybe your podcast audience. At the time I was living in New York, I had just turned 40 mm-hmm. and I was single and all my friends in New York were 40 and single. Nice. And I got to Atlanta and people were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so that was, it was a weird time. Like the Beltline hadn't, it just opened and it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't even finished. So it was you know, just the first parts of it had, had opened. Yeah. And so things were just starting to get going. So I went back to New York and stayed another seven years or so. Okay. Before finally I was ready to come back to Atlanta. And I got got a place here in 2018 and then commuted for about 18 months um, every week between New York and Atlanta. That's wild. Because uh, I was in an international job again. So I was doing a lot of travel mm. and then I finally pulled the plug and was here since uh, right before the pandemic full time. Yeah. Okay. Um, And you've had a career shift since you've moved. I have had a career shift since I moved. (laughs) Um, In fact, I left my job at the end of my time in New York. So I wanted to be back in Atlanta and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It was 2019 and obviously politics were quite hot in Atlanta and Georgia. Why? <laughs> and I was looking for something to do to be a little bit more civically engaged in the community and maybe think about my own business. And I, but I had no ideas. I was not, didn't have an idea to start a business. Oh. So I was looking around at a small business broker, uh, and that's where I discovered this group of local newspapers that was for sale. Mm-hmm. And it was literally print newspapers that were distributed through direct mail in about five communities around Atlanta, uh-huh. mostly in the northern suburbs, so Dunwoody, Sandy Springs, Buckhead, Brookhaven, and then in town Atlanta. Yeah. And the person that had started them was turning 70, and he was looking for a succession plan. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a family member that was looking to do it. So I started talking to him, and, and earlier in my career, when I was very, very young, I worked in radio, and, and I worked at WSB radio when I was 16 years old. So, and so I worked cool. there all through high school. Okay. All through college. It actually was the epitome of not cool. Really? So, it sounds cool. Well, it was, it was cool for me, but it wasn't like a cool thing to be into radio. And you're like ahead yeah. of your time. <laughs> it was, yeah, maybe. And way before podcasts, way before digital. And I got really excited. I thought, this is really cool. And it, and it, and it, 
tapped into my passion about media. Mm-hmm. And I went to a bunch of friends and I said, please talk me out of this. Yeah. This is crazy. I thought it was easy for them to come up with reasons. They, no one, people that had known me for 40 years and people that had known me for four months all said, seems like a great fit. Like you've got a really? plan. Yeah, it was shocking. And okay. it was, yeah. So we were able to strike a deal. And it was COVID because no, I mean, so no one wanted to buy this company. It was, a, I mean, people were not lining up to buy newspapers. Uh, uh, let alone in a pandemic. <laughs> especially in a pandemic. Yeah. So I was able to put together a deal and I had a plan. And the, the day after we closed the deal, uh, the AJC interviewed me. And actually, you play a big part in this because if you remember that we did the deal and then the AJC called and they wanted to do the story. And they needed a picture. Oh, yeah. And I had no headshots. And also, for the previous, I mean, year and a half, I hadn't cut my hair. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was not really ready for prime time. Keith looked like a ragamuffin throughout COVID. Yeah, so it was a vibe. It worked until <laughs> it I suddenly had to be, you know, have my picture in the paper. Yeah. So you were gracious enough to take... Uh, I got a haircut, and then yeah. you took I the first uh, headshot that I still use today. You do still use it? Yeah. Oh, am I going to yeah. get any like commissions on this? Well, we probably need to update because owning a newspaper has given me a few more gray hairs <laughs> in the last only two and a half years. <laughs> um, anyway, so the AJC wrote a, st- a column, and the columnist Bill Torpy, who is really the last of the you know the classic newspaper columnists of previous eras, mm-hmm. wrote this very funny, very accurate column. But in, in it, he called me a nut. He was like, <laughs> who is this? I had to find out out of morbid curiosity, who this nut is that bought a newspaper. That's a tagline. And yeah, so we, the second month we were moving along, I think our revenue fell about 20%. Okay. And I sat on the floor of my loft in the fetal position. <laughs> what and have I, I done? I was like, what have I done? <laughs> I've never owned a business before. Oh, Keith. I never <laughs> had my name on the checks. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I looked back at the plan that I put together when we started and we got back on track and the first year we grew I think about 16 17 percent and then we grew again the next year and it's been great having the best time it is the perfect job for me yeah and it's been it's been great it's really impressive knowing you from kind of before during and after it makes sense to me that somebody would refer to you as a nut for buying a are you taking a break I'm stretching. I mean, I'm adjusting. Keith just like took off his headphones, just like, are we done? I can't. So I worked in radio when I was young. Yeah. And my dream was to be on the radio. Mm -hmm. And I would sit in my bed as a kid. Many people have these stories and and announce the sports games. and, Uh And I thought like, this is my dream to be in radio. Yeah. And... And then I realized I have a terrible voice. I it's, don't it's, agree. Oh, it's very sleepy. So there's a time and a you place. You should advise people at the beginning of this podcast. If you listen on 2.0, it sounds great. Um, <laughs> do not listen while operating heavy machinery or driving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I lost track of the question. I don't think there was a question, but that makes me, <laughs> I feel like I need to share. Keith always smells like lavender, which I feel like is the way you just described your voice. Just like real soothing and relaxing. And uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Does it smell like lavender? <laughs> well, there are oh, worse thank things. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have I have a, a very heightened sense of smell. Do you? No, I don't know why. And my father clearly lacked a sense of smell because would drown himself in cologne. Oh man. So I'm super aware of smells. Okay. Um, that makes sense. So, You're course yeah. correcting from dad. Uh, but I do have lavender <laughs> candles, I guess. Don't you put lavender stuff on Poppy? I feel like I he do. douses his designer yes, dog in she, like a She doesn't like it. <laughs> He smells like her. <laughs> Keith, I have a question. You said something earlier that made me think. The energy and feel of being in New York as the internet was emerging, does that feel comparable to what you're seeing happen with AI now? Like, is this the precipice of the next kind of big game-changing thing? Can I put that into chat GPT and see what the answer is? Um, <laughs> yeah. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's, yeah, I mean, whereas the internet 
And I mean, technology always is allowing people to do things faster and to scale things and to, you know, change every industry. You know, I think AI will change the internet industry, I guess, or is changing it. I mean, it's, 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 Sure, but it's a, it's, a, it's a next extension of the internet. I mean, I think a lot of the, the most recent AI stuff is, and I don't really understand how it happened so quickly overnight where mm-hmm. ChatGPT suddenly was ready for consumer use, right? Because you've been yeah. using AI in, in Gmail or you've been using AI in Grammarly. Mm-hmm. Those are all AI-driven sure. stuff, but it's, I mean, like like everything in technology where once it reaches a certain level just it just like grows exponentially yeah. much much faster yeah. um it's 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 really remarkable it is remarkable it's uh i think this is scary but i i also just wonder when i compare the 90s to now i'm like i wonder if people were feeling the same way about the internet i think so that they are i mean i think AI. people were feeling the same way about tv yeah when they when point. tv came out i mean i think people were feeling the same way about about any technology revolution, cars. Yeah. So, well, you were there when TV came out. I mean, what was it like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. <laughs> I love to risk Keith. He's just too fun. <laughs> I don't even have a good comeback, but <laughs> but TV <laughs> is radically changed by you know by streaming. You know, maybe by AI because AI is what powers the algorithms that yeah. put you know, that make it so that you're spend half your night now just flipping through Netflix mm-hmm. and not watching network TV. And mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases, probably not even watching Netflix because you can't find what you want to find. So it's just an example of how I think it's transforming every industry. I agree with that. And one industry it's transforming or not transforming, but I, I heard this analogy that I really liked. And it compared modern day dating to Netflix. So it's like you spend more time scrolling on Netflix, like, oh, like this show looks really good, but what if I keep scrolling? There's an even better looking show. And I think people are treating people like that now. And especially with like apps and stuff like that, it just seems like there's there's too much content at the tip of our fingers and people just can't commit. <laughs> yeah, there's I mean, there's too much choice and yeah, and and Absolutely. I mean, in TV and in the way that dating apps work. Yeah. Absolutely. So Keith, you are in your early fifties. I feel like you've essentially already shared that. So I'm just going to say it out loud, but you're single. You've never been married. Correct. And I wonder, (laughs) see that smile. (laughs) I I need to pull up your list of topics. I I gave you forewarning, but I wonder this applies to me and it's been becoming more and more clear to me. And I just wonder if you feel this way also, because I think it is different for men and women. But I've realized as I have been a business owner and really kind of come into my own and just built a life that I very much enjoy, it makes dating so much harder because you're like, man, I've figured it out. Like you, there's so much somebody else would have to bring to the table to make it worth sharing, I guess. And I wonder if that's something that you experience or if that's maybe a more f- female perspective thing. Do you think your difficulty in sharing with others is why you're not married? <laughs> Damn, Keith. <laughs> um, uh, okay. <clears throat> I've been engaged. Did you know that? No. Yeah, I've been engaged. Oh, and Thanks for coming on my podcast. <laughs> Tell me more. Do you want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, wow. I think as I get older, I'm more open to it. I mean, as, okay. as not, you know, an insignificant number of my friends frequently mentioned to me, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not getting any younger. I mean, yeah. I think it's, you know, I'm watching a lot of my friends deal with aging parents mm-hmm. and I think it's, you know, I still feel very young. I think I hopefully yeah. act very young, but you do, you know, knowing the, the numbers, work against you it's not gonna you know so it becomes something I think about more okay probably than I ever have so prior to this phase of your life that it it was not a priority oh no clearly not (laughs) I mean that's is it something that you just assumed would always happen and then it didn't or was it just not even I never I mean it's I don't know I mean one I was in New York for a long time and as I think we talked about like all of my friends were 40 and single. Yeah. Like, why so it just wasn't like, why would you 
get married because yeah. you know it's you can't live with another person in New York yeah because you have no space it's incredibly expensive mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't driven didn't have a passion or a calling to have kids yeah especially yeah. in New York oh god yeah. um, you know in a large part because I thought I could never afford it in New York it <laughs> and you're like, right no matter how much money you make you're right <laughs> so so it wasn't and then and then I didn't have the stereotypical Jewish mother like nagging me to get married. Oh, that's true. So it just wasn't something that was really on my radar. And yeah. it took me, I mean, I definitely, you know, came into my own later in life. Mm-hmm. So I was a late maturer physically. And I think it took me a long time to get confidence both professionally and personally. So. Yeah. There's something about being single as, I mean, I think people might be mad if they hear me in my like late thirties saying like later in life. But I think that being single as a fully formed adult, you learn so much about yourself and I find it really enjoyable. And to me, the most important relationship that I have is with myself. And, uh, I think that with every year older I get, my standards only get higher and higher. And I'm, like you said, it's a numbers game. It's like you whittle away this pool of, uh, there's no reason to settle. Life's good. So it's got to be this really special mix of things that would make it worth, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have a very rich, full life with family and friends and I'm lucky in that way. And I just have, I'm independent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's what sort of drives me. I'm not, I wish I was as introspective as you're saying. (laughs) I wish that I was able to to do more of that, but I I think I'd be kidding myself if I said that was the case. I mean, I think it's just not how I function. I mean, I have done a lot of that in my past, Yeah. but it's not my current. I'm very, very, very focused on business. Yeah. And growing it and making sure we're successful. It makes a lot of sense. And that obviously would take up the prominent bandwidth in your life. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to do. And there's a lot of things I do do socially, culturally, Mm -hmm. where it's nice to have someone to do that with. It's true. So it's not, it's not something I'm not interested in. Yeah. I'm lucky that I have got a lot of friends that are also single or let me tag along. Yes. Uh, to do things with them. And then I'm close in my fam. My sisters are here and, mm-hmm. and we're, I'm lucky that we're friends. Yes. Uh, you are so lucky. that, that helps. That's huge. Um, and it's not like it's hard to get a date in Atlanta. I mean, it's that part's easy, but it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel is like you always easy? have a date. I feel like it's just like finding somebody you want to consistently see for a long time is the problem, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, I think that the, it's, the grass is always greener. People, yes, people see your life or my life and they say, oh, I wish I could go with you tonight to the Eastern, mm-hmm. to this concert, but I've got back to school night with my kids. Mm-hmm. Or I told my husband or wife that I would do such and such. Mm -hmm. So, but the grass is always greener. I mean, there's days when, you know, when you had COVID, you wanted someone to bring you a Cobb salad. (laughs) And luckily there was, (laughs) (laughs) luckily there was someone that was going every day to Ticonderoga club during the pandemic. And (laughs) that helped get you a Cobb salad. Yeah. I manifested that offer. I, I think the relationship doesn't have to be defined by, uh, what it was like, you know, traditional. I mean, even though I'm not naive enough to think that traditional gender roles or what have you are still part of society. Sure. Obviously they are, but I think it's changing quite rapidly. I completely agree with that. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a great example, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're the way you live your life, the way you openly address even this topic. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think it's that's an example for other young women. Young other young women didn't have that role model to know that they could be business owners, that they didn't have to be married. Mm-hmm. And then you see a lot more. You know, many many of my contemporaries are you know choosing to have uh, children on their own. Yeah. And raising them on their own, and don't need uh, that traditional family unit. So Absolutely. I think it's all changed. But if you want to put me on your checking account. (laughs) Um, uh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a very big pro uh, prenup person. I love the idea of like yours, mine, ours. And if it's in the mine category and, you know, like being very intentional with cross-pollination of funds. But it is really nice to watch that whole landscape evolve because I think that there were limited options for, I mean, thousands of years of human history. And uh, I think I was just having a conversation with my best friend who's in her late thirties and decided, you know what? Like I don't fucking want kids. And she's felt pressured like she needs to. And she finally just had this concrete realization. Um, but I think even now people are like, I don't want to do things the way that we've been told we have to do things. And it's really refreshing to, to see. Oh, you've been to, is it fish or widespread panic? Who's the band that you've been to or grateful dead? You've been to like 47. <laughs> I've been to 11 grateful dead shows. So oh, you, God. you're, I think what you're referring to is, <laughs> is I worked in, you know, corporate jobs and you know there's you always have to introduce yourself yeah and give three interesting things about yourself Mm -hmm. so I like to say I've been to 11 Grateful Dead shows I've finished in the top 500 of the New York City Marathon oh that's the detail the top 500 not just that you've done it but that you finished like in a respectful place and (laughs) I've hung out with Willie Nelson on his bus (gasps) okay I'm going to ask the question that everybody <laughs> listening wants to know. Did you partake? I did not because he did not offer. <gasps> and I was sick. So I was staying sort of the <laughs> 10 years ago version of six feet away from him. Keith um, was prepared I didn't want for to not, I did not want to get Willie Nelson sick. That would be a dick move. Um, if he had offered you, would you have smoked a joint? Yes. With and I was in like heavy, heavy training for the New York City Marathon. And I don't really smoke, although many people say I probably should. And I was prepared to, I was prepared to <laughs> definitely partake if he offered, but he never offered. Have and he had a joint behind his ear the whole time. Oh my God. And you're just like staring at it. Have you ever consumed cannabis? Yes, of course. Okay. But so that I, wouldn't have been your first time. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. No. okay but okay. not, I mean, not. Not a ton. Of, uh, I missed the high school years, okay. um, mostly because my mom was sick and I was yeah. like sort of like staying straight and narrow. And then the only times during college was usually when I was, this just sounds, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but <laughs> when I was drinking and then I would just fall asleep. So it never really took. And, I, and then I was a runner for so many years. So yeah. I can't smoke. So That's fair. Um, yeah. Well, if you're listening, Keith's drug of choice is like a light, crisp red wine. <laughs> See, I'm using your rough draft pen. I like it. Check. We just ordered new Check. colors today. What colors? Uh, I'm not sure. I actually gave that decision over to someone else, believe it or not. Whoa. Mm. Not. Um, swinging back to work a little bit. I think a lot of small business owners would say that the portion of their business they like the least is marketing and social media and advertising and just kind of all of the stuff that's integral to keeping a business growing and flowing, but isn't actually the point of their business. You own a media company, so of course that is more the point of your business, but you've done an exceptional job of scaling things in, what did you say, two and a half years? What are the smartest moves you've made in that time period that you've seen the the best ROI on? Well, let me answer this in two ways. I own a media company that is, uh, we have print, we have digital uh, products, and mm-hmm. so we have a built-in audience. I mean, we've we've grown the audience and we continue to try to develop the audience and grow it in different ways. Mm-hmm. We actually do very little, almost to a fault of our own marketing. Oh, really? Uh, which we need to get better at. And I'll tell you why in a second. So that's, you know, we because we have an audience of people that are coming to us for for news and information and content on a daily, hopefully multiple times a day basis, then we've got, you know, we've got the ability to put marketing messages in front of people. And so Mm -hmm. how we use social media, I mean, for us, social media is a distribution channel. So it, all of our content goes into our Facebook stream. Uh, A lot of it goes on Instagram. A lot of it goes, unfortunately, onto Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and then some of it, you know, more and more, we need to get get better at this goes on to LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. We actually haven't really taken advantage of TikTok or Snapchat mm-hmm. yet, although we probably should. It's just a factor of you know people having the staff to do it. There are some technology tools or, or AI tools that are going to help us 
get information into the format that it needs to be in to go onto Snapchat or onto Reels, yeah. for example. But we haven't, you know, our core competency is writing relatively, you know, I don't even want to say long form because it's comical how short <laughs> people's attention spans have become. So oh, yeah. we're, we're not doing long form journalism as you would know it. Sure. In a, in a you know traditional magazine or in you know in the New Yorker, but we're doing you know we're doing a what the continuum of news, you know local hyper local news for the communities that we cover. Mm-hmm. So we just have a built-in advantage or platform in terms of putting out content on a daily basis. Where a small business person that isn't in the content creation <laughs> business has to then focus. So you are your core core business is not creating content, but doing this podcast is a great example of how you're a media company now. So you've become, so you have an audience, right? You're taking your assets in this case, which is your personality and the experiences that you've lived and your experiences in business and life. And then you're putting it out in a media product. So you're in the media game. So now businesses have the ability to cut out and you know, traditionally, they would have to go to a media company, so a publisher of a newspaper, a TV station, a radio station, a billboard, and I think that's all there was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you'd have to purchase airtime or yeah. convince them that your story was worth telling. Now you can fire up your laptop and you can record a podcast, and then you can have this podcast around the world in you know less than an hour. Well, so Keith... As a budding media company owner, what do I do? How do I be successful? <laughs> what do I do well, now? <laughs> I think you're doing it. I mean, the first thing you have to do is commit to do it. I'm committed. I think that you have to be consistent mm-hmm. and put things out. So you're creating, I think that, you know, and this is both what I consume and ideally what we put out. It's about consistency. Mm-hmm. I think it's about consistency, meaning it's going to come out every week yeah. or, and it's also going to be relatively the same. So I think that people, people don't like surprises and I'm not just talking about 52 year old OCD <laughs> single men with dogs that smell like lavender, but Guys. people like consistency. And so this is one of the things that I think we've done really well is, you know, you know, in our products, what you're going to get every day. And yeah. it doesn't, it's, it comes at the same time. It looks the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same order. All that stuff matters. Yeah. There's and comfort and predictability. There's comfort and predictability, especially when you're trying to create a daily routine or in your case, a weekly or biweekly routine. Sure. Uh, I think that the risk is that, you know, this is not your core business. Right. So you've got to be, you've got to be careful about getting off focus mm-hmm. of what your core business is and how you make your money. Because I think that your, your podcast is off to a great start. And I'm sorry if the trends stop <laughs> with running into a brick wall with, with this episode, episode but you know, it's not how you're going to, and I don't even think you're actually shaping it this way because you're not being very commercial about it. You're not yeah. even talking as much about, you know, we should talk about your business and your, you know, and how you serve your clients mm-hmm. and, and how you're growing that. But the, so it's not going to be your core competency. You got to focus on that. And, you know, yeah. just as an example, we don't even do podcasts. You know, the number of people come to me and say, to like, why don't you guys do a podcast? Why don't you guys do a podcast? Yeah. Because as you know, it takes a lot of work. It, to do it well, it really yeah. does. It's really yeah. easy to do a bad podcast. I, I totally agree with that. It's very easy. Yeah. And in, in the first time you listen to a bad podcast, you're not going to go back and listen to another one. It's true. So it's incredibly difficult to do great podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so we've partnered with people to do a podcast and to dip our toe in that water. And I think yeah. it's turned out really well. WABE, they're experts at doing audio yeah. programming. And so we, you know, we partner with them to let them do it. And then, and then that's been a better format for us. We have to prioritize, even though mm-hmm. I want to do everything you, yes. you can't. Well, you're tapping into something that I think anybody who is a business owner or would like to be a business owner will run into you. And it's the temptation and the pull to go so many different directions and to do so many things. And uh, on one hand, uh, you're 
core competency is the stuff that you're good at and the stuff you're an expert in. And on the other hand, there are new skill sets that you should be learning along your way. And it's, I think, just something you hone over time, but knowing like, hey, this is worth adding some new knowledge and pursuing, and hey, this is not, this isn't, (laughs) you know? And I think that you could really, I I mean, I, over the course of uh, 10 years in business, have definitely gone down some roads that ultimately weren't the road for me. I mean, we did like picnic basket rentals for a while and it's like, nobody wants this. And like, just, you know, but you've got to try things. Um, But the more you do, I think it's really if you're introspective at all, it's easy to kind of get data about yourself and about your brand and know like, hey, this is a choice that's going to be really great for me. Or, hey, this is something that we need to outsource because it's just not our expertise and that's not in alignment with our brand values. So that's a good point. Yeah, totally. And and I think it's about the, what's the cost of taking those risks, right? So you're, you know, the cost of doing a podcast is, is not, it's not that high. It's a, it's a calculated risk that's worth taking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe picnic baskets are probably a relatively low risk, but I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of inventory and there's low a lot risk, of, low interest. Yeah, and, 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 uh, although they probably would have done pretty well during the pandemic. Um, but that's the, true. But the, but yeah, you have to, you have to figure out what makes sense for what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lean into it. I mean, I think that's one of the things, I don't even know if you asked this question, but I'll <laughs> say ba- back to me. But it's, you know, one of the things that I've learned thinking about, I didn't want to own my own business. Really? I never wanted to, I never wanted to like own my own business. I don't, I'm not a risk taker. I said this to, to someone recently, an advisor that I was talking to when I was giving them the overview of how I got to where I am and how I got into this. And I said something about not being, and I'm not a risk taker mm-hmm. and I'm not. And they were, they just laughed and they said, you know, everyone thinks that you're a risk taker. Like how, what kind of crazy person buys this newspaper? But it was yeah. a calculated risk. I had, you know, what, and I wish I had come to this revelation earlier in life, but maybe I wasn't meant to. If you, if you met, 16 15 year old me mm-hmm. i've almost come like full circle and it's like obsession with and it's like understanding of the of the media yeah um especially local in atlanta i mean and and it's just it's sort of it's funny to me that that's what's happened and like how i've gotten back yeah and also that i have this global view and i've traveled you know a lot of places and i've lived in other countries and i've spent a lot of time in other countries, but mm-hmm. my world now is so local. I, I, I cover local news. I went yesterday to a suburb 30 miles outside of Atlanta, Whoa. and it felt it felt exotic. Like I never <laughs> travel anymore, even though that was my identity for so long. Yeah. I was in airports two, three times a week. So That's anyway, the point being is, is I have come full circle to this thing that I'm super passionate about, mm-hmm. and I'm working more than I've ever worked. And, and I've, I'm a work kind of a worker. Yeah. Um, but I love it. I've yeah. never had this much fun doing what we're doing. But it's hard. And it's especially hard in, <laughs> in the industry that we're in because yeah. the media industry is under tremendous pressure. Mm-hmm. It's changing very quickly. It's not particularly, the, the margins are very small. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun. And so that makes it worth it. Oh, I totally agree with that. I just remembered a story that you'll appreciate. Other people may already be asleep or have turned the channel, but I once I was living in New York and I was living downtown, uh, I think on 19th Street, and a friend wanted to set me up on a date with a woman that lived on 93rd Street oh on the east God. side, and I lived on the west side. Oh shit! And I said, "It's not going to work out." I yeah. can just tell you, like it's just way too far. Yeah. And it's like the equivalent of someone wanting to set you up with someone that lived in Woodstock or something. Immediately now. Uh, with a shout out to all of our listeners in Woodstock. Yeah. So I said, I, I just don't think it's going to work out. Yeah. And my friend who was married to his college, you know, been married forever. Mm-hmm. He looked at me just incredulously and said, I don't understand how you will run 26 miles to nowhere, but you won't go to the Upper East Side for a date. That's a solid point, but also 
especially in New York, that is geographically undesirable. That's a it completely is the different experience. Of geographically undesirable. Yeah, like I and you don't know. I support you in that choice. Did you ever even meet her, or were you just like no? I think I did meet her later. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She came down, but to not the in the Upper East Side. I don't know where. I think <laughs> at, maybe one of his parties or something. Okay. Uh, I thought the story was going to go to like, so I decided to like combine my training with the state. So I ran up. Yeah, I would have been. I, I, I do enjoy running errands. Literally, it's a very effective way to do things. I used to occasionally stop by Whole Foods at the end of a run. Where where we live and grab like sumo oranges, one or two things and avocados. <laughs> Whatever happened to sumo oranges? They're seasonal and we're out of the season. But I don't, I feel like they weren't as. This was a bad were, year. Yeah, this, this was, was a bad not, citrus year in general, off, though. Oh, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like our peach crops were bad. You probably yeah. noticed. Well, I like that, yeah. yeah, I think it's just like, but yeah. citrus definitely took a big hit. Yeah. And we noticed that with the sumo. Yeah. But the prices didn't. I'm still spending $6 on a fucking orange. and It better be the best orange I've ever put in my mouth. I feel like those are personal choices. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Only a millennial who doesn't have kids and owns her own business can spend $6 on an orange that may or may not be that good. You know what? I'm okay with being in that socioeconomic description zone. It reminds me, my little brother came over the other night and we were hanging out and playing the guitar. And I was like, I know this sounds weird, but like I can make a really good smoothie. Like, do you want a smoothie? And he was like, yeah. And so I had some shaved coconut and I put it on top of the smoothies as like garnish. And my brother was like, man, listen, I know this is how we're in different tax brackets is that you can afford garnish. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I wouldn't have thought about it that way. But I'm like, that's a good point. Like this is adding nothing but aesthetics. Someone told me recently (laughs) that the definition of low-key rich, as they called it, uh-huh. was you can walk around with your iPhone without a case. Oh, yeah. That is a good sign. It, it's the quiet luxury. It's those subtle things where you're like, oh, they've got money. And I think, you know that saying, like, money talks and wealth whispers. An iPhone-free case is like a, I'm rich. <laughs> I never heard that. Really? It's a good one. Do you have advice for people who want to get involved in the local arena, but, you know, have a full-time job and not a ton of time or money to give, but want to make a difference? That's a good question. I think that, uh, (laughs) so, (laughs) I mean, I think you just have to get involved and it's, it is, people are exhausted. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you and I don't have kids, uh, but I'm tired every night. <laughs> you know, I think, I think you just ha- you have to get in, involved and put yourself out there, which is which is hard for people. But there's mm-hmm. whether you're volunteering at Trees Atlanta or you're volunteering at a you know with l- local kids or homeless shelter. I think it's just really important to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be about money, um, but yeah. you know the time. You know, people need support and people need to be engaged in the community. And we don't have that we've lost that we, we've lost it way before covid but yeah. covid ex- exacerbated it oh i agree and i think it's a lot easier to be on a local level to take your jersey right everyone's got a political jersey on at the national level mm-hmm. which is what you see and you see it stoked by social media you see it stoked by cable news sure so we try not to do that and we and i think that for the most part we are succeeding in that yeah. um but it you know you have to know what's going on mm-hmm. um, but to get involved you can do it you have you know, you have to try to do it locally, but it's yeah. hard. Um, it is and really if you hard. don't do it, you know, if good people don't do it, it only takes a, a very few number of bad people to really screw things up for everyone else. Absolutely. So that's the the crazy thing is that numbers, you know, the numbers of people that are involved in local politics, local elections mm-hmm. is just disturbingly small. Yeah. I think people don't realize, and I think it's easy to... Uh, ignore as well. I know that my text threads with friends, especially as political stuff starts to ramp up towards election cycles, we have a lot of really strong opinions about things that directly impact us. But I think that there's, other than of course voting and just being vocal in conversations with people who may disagree, I know for me that there's a lot more that I could be doing. And having people like you around me, I feel like you always keep me like, (laughs) your face. (laughs) That's a lot of, that has a lot of pressure. (laughs) Well, it's, I think you're a good example of somebody who is able to remain optimistic in uh, times that I tend to not remain optimistic. And I feel like you're just good at always being 
forward going and keeping your eye on the goal. And I think it's easy to not do. Oh, it's really, it's very easy to not do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know that it's always true, but I think I, you know, I have the advantage of time, uh, spending a, a little bit more time on earth than, than you. But I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's scary times, you know, politics aside, which is certainly scary, but I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. other things that are, you know, probably going to impact us a lot more that are more scary, mm-hmm. you know, mental health, the effects of COVID on, on kids and teenagers, yeah. the effects of social media on kids and teenagers yeah. or young adults, uh, I think is, is incredibly scary and will have a lot more lasting impacts on society than, uh, you know, than an election here or there, mm-hmm. but the elections also have consequences because yeah. there's a lot of uh, laws that are that are on the that are on the books or changing that we never thought would change because of local elections that mm-hmm. people don't pay attention to. So yeah, that's where it all begins, and then sometimes once the train has left the station, there's no going back, and so. I feel like I appreciate that when something or I hear whispers of things happening in Atlanta, I feel like Keith is somebody I can text and be like, hey, what's the story with this? And you're just like, it's fine. Or, you know what I mean? I think you always have an optimistic angle on it, which is, would you consider yourself an optimist? Like, is that your disposition with all things? I I had a call earlier today with a friend who was asking me about the media industry. And I said, and he, I worked with him for years in New York Mm -hmm. and he, he was like, how are things going? And I'm like, I, I don't have anything to complain about. Yeah. I was like, it's really weird. <laughs> and I have like three <laughs> hours more in my day every day. But yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've learned to be more optimistic now because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in this role, which, with, which has leadership or quasi leadership, you know, elements to it in the community, whether it's through different nonprofits that I'm involved with. So mm-hmm. I try to be optimistic but it's you know it's really scary I mean I, I don't have my own kids but I have uh, a lot of nieces and nephews that are yeah. in there that are teenagers and now going off to college yeah. and I think if you don't have hope that the kids will do I mean I guess I have hope that they'll do better but it's I don't know it's 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 a little bit scary but I'm, yeah. I'm generally optimistic I mean things are things are good and I'm having fun so I mean, at the end of the day, I think that is all that matters because it's, there's no point in killing yourself at work if you're not going to enjoy any fruits of your labor or wake up at 70 and just be like, now I'll take that trip. And it's like, your knees cannot handle those cobblestones. Like you got to (laughs) just be present. Well, I mean, having run a lot of marathons and a lot of miles, my knees knees are Are uh, actually shockingly good shape, but yeah, but I'm also, I mean, that your, your point there, you're, you do a much better job of taking trips and enjoying things more than I do. I mean, I'm in a phase of where I am with the company and of my life where I've never worked more. I went away this summer on a trip to, to Cuba, mm-hmm. which has very, very intermittent internet access. Oh, yeah. And it was incredibly stressful because being a small business owner, you know, being out of touch and everything was fine and you know things obviously you know go on and they don't need me at every little moment but Mm -hmm. I'm in that phase of being a small business owner where you know I don't think I'm enjoying that that balance but I I mean I love what I'm doing so it doesn't even feel like work and I can it's just such a cliche but I can weave in things that I love to do with work too which Mm -hmm. is why this is a job that's uniquely suited for me What's an example of that, Keith? Well, f- food. So I love <laughs> eating out. I love going to restaurants. You can find Keith perched on a bar stool at Miller Union like five out of seven nights I, a week. So I love <laughs> going to eat at the bar at different restaurants and or the same restaurant a lot. And yeah. so that's something that gives me a lot of comfort. And it's something that we cover. And it's something that, that you know, is how I like to spend my time. Yeah. Music political events or community events. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, being a publisher now, I take a different approach to, to political events. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, for these two years, I'm serving as chair of the Atlanta Press Club, which oh, is cool. a, an amazing experience. So it gets, you know, it puts me in a lot of, you know, events and rooms with int- really interesting people. Yeah. So last week I got to introduce the CDC director and got to sit with her at lunch and talk about her experience. This so those are I things mean. that I would never, those are things that I would never 
get to do in, in a different job. So, yeah. you know, that is where that intersection of work and to me, that's fun, right? Yeah. The, that's what I love to do. So. I think that really applies to what I do as well. Like I have been very intentional with selling things that are things that I actually enjoy and love. So it really doesn't feel like work. And although, uh, I mean, I do work a lot, um, and luckily I have the availability to do that because I don't have kids and you know, my life is my life. It is so wonderful when you can harmonize things that you love with things that pay you. (laughs) It's like, I think that's the sweet spot. Even if you are working a lot and even if you do need to be kind of, you know, email available when you're on vacation and stuff like that. It's so worth it because it just feels good. Yeah. And especially when you're doing, when, when you're growing and you're, you know, you're bringing more people in, you're giving people opportunities and you're producing great product, right? You sell great products. You have great experience, provide great services. So we, you know, we, if we can strive to put out great products into the world, then it Mm -hmm. makes it even more fun. I agree. Keith, are you somebody who is, uh, in, in regards to work, like, are you able to appreciate and enjoy the successes that you've had? Or are you somebody who's always looking at the next benchmark? So this may contradict because you just called me optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> you um, agreed. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I'm still a new business owner. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, the I don't think I ever thought, I mean, people didn't think that we could do this. People thought this was crazy and it still may turn out to be crazy. Yeah. You know, we grew, I think I told you this, my second month, our revenue fell 20% and I sat down on the floor in the fetal position and was like, (laughs) what have I done? Yeah. Because if you open up any news story about the news industry, Mm -hmm. it will paralyze you, right? It's Mm -hmm. just, it's layoffs, it's bankruptcies, it's it's hedge funds taking over and gutting newspapers, it's um, national companies running uh, local media companies. So I think that of the local TV stations in Atlanta, only one is locally owned. Um, That's so, crazy and also something that I feel like you're like the only type of person who knows this shit. And so it's really interesting to hear, you know? Well, yeah. So that, I, that I would, my, I'm surprised yeah, to hear yeah, that. Yeah. Being a new business owner and, you know, being someone that's run marathons <laughs> and tried to run them at a relatively competitive, um, you know, you, but that, you know, I, I do have a piece of my personality. It's like pushes and pushes and pushes. So, yeah. so, I'm really proud of what we're doing, but having that first taste of growing mm-hmm. and this being my first business, now mm-hmm. I want to grow more. Yeah, it feels um, good. You know, but I also, I have on my monitor at home a sticky note that says meaningful, not massive. Ooh. So there's part of me that, it, it, you know, wants to grow, wants to be a perfectionist, right? I see all the, you know, people are very generous about pointing out typos that we have in <laughs> the paper or yeah. in, in our emails. Yeah. Um, and, but I also see them and <laughs> inter- internalize them. So, you know, I want it to be perfect. It's yeah. not, I realize it's not realistic, sure. um, but I do, you know, I do push us and push myself, you know, to be better. Yeah. So that makes sense. It's like the progress over perfection thing. It's better to get something out into the world and know that you can refine and let things evolve. Because I think a lot of people have this paralysis of perfection that if they can't do things perfectly, they don't want to do it at all. And I definitely struggle with that. I mean, I there was like a, almost a full year between the seed being planted of doing this podcast and me actually doing it. Because I was like, I need the best microphones. I need a good logo. I need, you know, this list of, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do this in the best way I am capable of doing. Um, But could I have gotten this out six months sooner? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's okay. Depending on your position, whether that's, you know, if you have investors in your business, right, that creates a different (laughs) dynamic for perfection. I mean, there's a saying in, you know, I guess everywhere there's a saying that's, (laughs) you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Oh, I I have never heard that. You haven't? No, yeah. but I like that's well, exactly you haven't worked what I'm in, saying. You haven't worked in corporate nope, settings. I have Have not. you ever heard of thinking outside the box? I have heard of that. Have you ever heard of low-hanging fruit? Yeah. Have you ever it's heard of circle back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> put a pin so, in it. <laughs> so put a pin in it. So, you know, that, 
you know, whether, you, you know, this, the perspective of your business, whether you have investors, what your cost bases are every month, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's, you know, there's months we've, we just had a record month in ad sales, which is our awesome. metric of how we, you know, how we run the business. Yeah. Um, but that was after a really difficult summer. Mm -hmm. So things even out. It took me a long time to get comfortable with that. And yeah. I'm still, you know, two and a half years in as a first time business owner, you know, I, I think I probably do it a little bit less these days, but I still check the bank account mm -hmm. on a you know daily basis pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Because it's still new to me Absolutely. and it's a little bit, I'm really proud of what we're building and really proud of our success, but it's mm -hmm. also, you know, I realize we have to stay on our game because Absolutely. it's not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. I, it's interesting being a business owner, the imagery of you in the fetal position after that bad month. I mean, we, everyone has had there are a handful of days like that. You'll have more. But then you compare that to like, oh, my newsletter just made 50,000 people in two years. Like uh, these really amazing uh, kind of peaks and valleys. And that's all it is. It's just being able to adapt and uh, know that even if you're in one of those low points, there's another there's another high around the corner, but you just have to you just have to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. But it was it took me a minute to get there because I had not been – I mean – Yes, you're right. And these are things that you know academically. Yeah, but, in practice it's but different. It's a lot harder to, you know, in the heat of you know, in the heat of the moment when you're when you're a new business owner, when you're new to the team, mm -hmm. um, when you're trying to when you believe even if you believe in your vision and you believe in what you want to do, you know, you have to get the you have to get people on the team to see that and to believe in it. Yeah. So all those things, uh, all those things factor in. Absolutely. Okay. I've got one more thing on my list, which I haven't shared with you. So there's an item that I carry in the gift shop that is hundred percent inspired by Keith Pepper and it is our science beaker, but it's a decanter for wine and it's so cool. I think it looks great on every bar cart holds an entire bottle of red wine if you need to decant it. But I also can't take credit. I just want to give appropriate credit to this because when I lived in New York, one of my favorite restaurants that I went to frequently was called Hearth in the East Village. And it had an incredible, incredible wine program. Mm -hmm. And But it was super casual. I love that. And I mean, it was, it was nice, but it, you could go, you know, like classic New York restaurant you can wear whatever mm -hmm. and they used those middle school high school science beakers for wine there so that's where oh, I got the idea oh I don't think Even I knew though, that yeah so it wasn't my original idea so. okay well although maybe I brought it to Atlanta I don't know I think you brought it to Atlanta I don't see this around a lot other than here but people always gravitate towards that in the shop because it's just a cool thing and so I think even when it's not in use it's a good form and function type of thing so if you're listening I'm going to do a little promo where you get a free gift with purchase you can get a decanter with any $50 purchase on our website with code pepper p-e-p-p-e-r all caps and want to remind everybody listening that if you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe, rate and review, and all of your purchases, you get 10% off at hawkinsonclover.com with promo code CLOVERCLUB, all caps. And Keith, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sitting down and having this chat, and I hope I hope you learned a lot. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you for having me, and congratulations on finally launching this podcast. <laughs> I think it was worth the wait and I know <laughs> what a labor of love it is for you and it's uh it's amazing and I think the most important thing is just putting yourself out there and then the consistency which you've already you know shown that you can do is gonna gonna pay off well I sure hope so thank you Keith I appreciate you all right we'll see y'all next week bye bye